Welcome to Consumer Adventures. My name is Giorgia Pasqualetto, and in this podcast, I bring you behind the scenes of emerging challenger consumer brands. Today with me, I have Von Sai here on the show. Von is the founder at Nimble Babies, a range of child-friendly household cleaning products that are powered by plants. You might be familiar with Von already, especially if you are based in the UK, you might have seen him on an episode of Dragon's Den. I'm very excited for this interview, so let's get started. Welcome, Von. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you very much, Georgia. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. So, Von, why don't we start by properly introducing yourself and your products? Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit more about your cleaning products uh, to start with and, uh, and your company as well? Okay, sure. Yeah, so my name is Vaughn. Uh, I'm the founder of Nimble. Um, yeah, like what Georgia said, we are a range of child-friendly, plant-based household cleaning products. Um, and what we do uh, is um, we're, we're specialized in cleaning children's things using plant-based ingredients. So our range of products uh, include a, a baby bottle cleaner, anti-back cleaners for um, high chairs and, and toys, Um, We have baby detergents, baby fabric softeners, and very recently we launched a a specialist detergent for cloth nappies, which is a fast growing uh, segment of the global nappy market. So yeah, so we are all really about um, excellent cleaning, safe cleaning, um, but with children's mess in mind. That's how we are uh, positioned. Um, yeah, and, and, and before starting Nimble, I, yeah, I used to work as a chemist and an R&D manager at, um, at Unilever. Um, and back in 2013, I decided to basically take uh, the leap of faith of, of leaving a, a big FMCG company and start up my own business. And that's how uh, Nimble kind of like started. That's uh, that's very very interesting. Super interesting the um, the industry and very interesting your background as well. We had on the on the show people uh, who had backgrounds in sales, marketing, events, engineering. Um, mm-hmm. You were actually a chemist. Um, mm. So tell us a bit more how you yeah. decided to actually take that leap of faith. Yeah. So in 2013, yeah, um, there were a few kind of like things that happened uh, from a personal point of view. I got married. I moved down uh, from Leeds to London. Um, and then, yeah, that was a time for me to kind of like rethink, OK, would I want to actually um, go back to a corporate kind of like setup or start up my own business? And, you know, luckily, my wife was very supportive and told mm-hmm. me, you know, yeah, you've been having this itch of, you know, trying to start up your own business. So why don't you just do it now? Um, while you know, while we don't have any responsibilities yet. So mm. that's how it kind of like started. So yeah, so in 2014, um, that's when I made the decision to, um, yeah, to basically um, go- get into the world of babies and products for parents. Yeah, so I- I'm a chemist uh, by profession. So my-, my training for the last kind of like 10, 10 years of my career has really been, you know, uh, very much about product development and mm-hmm. things like that, um, very technical in nature. So, um, yeah, when I started, I really had to learn a lot of things uh, very quickly. Um, I thought I knew what marketing and sales was about, mm. but uh, obviously I didn't. Uh, um, so, yeah, I had to kind of like do my own consumer research, try to understand what are the needs of the parents um, um, and kind of like turn them into proper concepts Mm -hmm. and distill them into concepts that can be um, turned into real products yeah Um, and and that's how you know that's how nimble was kind of born 
um, it was actually through my chat with my sister mm-hmm. um, when you know that when she was telling me about her her challenges in washing um, the baby bottles of my niece. Right. Um, yeah. So she was tell- yeah she was telling me that it was um, getting cloudy and smelling of you know strong washing up liquid smell that she didn't like because she felt like it wasn't safe uh, for for my niece. So yeah, so that's how it kind of happened and. Yeah, I, I looked into it and then I thought, actually, yeah, I can come up with a product, you know, being a chemist myself, I thought maybe I can come up with a solution to this. Um, so, yeah, I, I decided to, yeah, to look into it and research uh, properly if there's a real consumer need for it, because I thought it might just be my sister not washing her baby bottles properly. Right. <laughs> but um, to my surprise, actually, when, when I did my research, 80% of parents uh, were actually um, facing that issue. Um, so I thought, ah, okay, so if 80% of parents en- encounter this issue, then there is a need for it. So that's how I, um, I ended up um, developing this baby bottle cleaner um, that we were able to patent in the UK and in Europe. Um, and um, yeah, it's now being sold um, in about 900 stores now in the UK through Tesco and Sainsbury's and Ocado. That's that's great. And you mm-hmm. mentioned a little bit of, uh, of the research. So to kind of check that there was a real need, um, mm-hmm. what, what did you do exactly to, to come up with this? Mm-hmm. And once you, uh, established that there was this need, what were the next steps? Mm. So um, I did a few things in, all, in order to validate it. Um, so firstly, I did some qualitative research first, mm-hmm. um, meaning, you know, I've just spoken to like a handful of moms um, who were introduced mm. to me. Um, so yeah, that, that was the challenging part as well, because I just moved to London uh, at the time. So I didn't really know a lot of, of people around London. Um, right. So it took me a while to also find out, you know, which moms to speak to and, and, and stuff like that. So eventually, yeah, I managed to speak to a handful of moms uh, just to interview um, and ask them about, you know, life being as uh, life as, as a mom, what are their strengths, uh, uh, what are the constraints and challenges that they face, um, and then particularly around baby bottle cleaning. So yeah, that's where I, you know, found out that, you know, there, there is an issue um, around baby bottle cleaning, that it's a chore that they don't like. Um, so from that qualitative research, I kind of like did a bit of a semi-quantitative research um, where, believe it or not, what I've done was I, I went to John Lewis in Oxford uh, Street mm-hmm. um, and, and I hung around in the nursery section um, with my clipboard and a, a, and a five point questionnaire (laughs) so yeah so I I hung around the nursery um, the nursery section and basically I just approached the moms who were shopping um, and I I, and then I just politely asked them oh would you mind you know uh, would you mind filling out this you know short form for me you know I'm trying to start up my own business and you know everyone was very kind and you know they really said oh yeah Uh, they they spent time and you know you know they didn't really like you know they didn't reject me which was really helpful which is great um yeah yeah yeah, so that's how I kind of like got my semi-quantitative data I think from that research I got about 20 um 20 moms filling out the form um and then yeah that's when I realized oh actually it's not just this handful of moms there are you know 20 other moms who you know who are saying the same thing and that's when I you know made the decision that okay I, I I need to yeah, really look into this. So once I was convinced that, that there's a consumer need, the next challenge for me is, you know, how to 
yeah, how to develop the product. So mm-hmm. I had to understand the challenges around bottle cleaning. What is it that is causing the cloudiness in the bottles? What is it that's causing the odor of the washing up liquid staying in the bottles? Yeah, so first one, you know, about the cloudiness in the bottles, it's basically the milk residues left behind, left behind by the milk fat and proteins that is causing that problem. So I thought, okay, I should pick up, you know, I should come up with a formula made with plant-based ingredients um, because I knew this was going to be positioned for babies. So it has to be safe ingredients. So yeah, I picked out um, uh, plant-based ingredients that does the specific job of detaching milk fat and proteins from plastic. So that was the fun part, you know, researching what are the ingredients Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, basically um, getting a lab to kind of like mix things for me and then testing it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, what what is it made with? Oh, yeah. So it's made with um, plant-based surfactants. Yeah. So made from coconuts uh, uh, and, and seeds and corn. Um, and then we have we have an ingredient um, that I've also put in, um, which uh, takes away the odor of milk um, without using chemical fragrances. Yeah, and the reason why I didn't want to use chemical fragrances and it's because of that problem that I mentioned earlier that it leaves this strong washing up liquid smell in the bottle, something that smells like fairy liquid. So you wouldn't want that to get mixed with with baby milk. Um, so yeah, I, I research a material um, that could remove that odor without having to use um, chemical fragrances. So yeah, um, that's how I ended up, um, um, you know, with the formula. But then I also wanted the product to, um, yeah, to be dispensed in a unique way. Um, I didn't, I didn't want it to be dispensed like a washing up liquid. Um, where you know you have a, a squeezy bottle that you squirt into into you know a container. Um, that's how I ended up uh, choosing a spray because I thought the spray will be excellent at you know at, at targeting the nooks and crannies of the bottles. Um, and at the same time, it you know it yeah it's a different uh, it's a different experience uh, for the for the um, for the customer um, when she uses the product. So yeah, so that's how I ended up um, with a unique formula dispense in a unique way. And that's what we were able to patent here in the UK and in Europe. That's very, yeah. very interesting. Um, did you have any external support? Um, I can imagine you were very close to the formulation, but how about the marketing, the packaging, the branding, um, <clears throat> those aspects? Yeah, um, yeah. So that was uh, yeah, that was one of the big challenges because um, all the people that I knew um, yeah, at that time were people who worked in Unilever or worked for Unilever. Um, so I couldn't really just tap uh, tap into them uh, and ask them, "Hey, can you help me?" Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I had to kind of like find my own networks outside mm-hmm. of Unilever, and yeah, it was it was. Yeah, quite challenging, but fun because naturally I really like networking. I I love chatting to people. I love finding out what they do. And um, yeah, so it was, um, yeah, it was quite fun. But the challenging part is, you know, really finding those people who can really help you because there's a lot of people who, you know, who will tend to promise a lot of things, but Mm. under deliver. Yeah. So, so yeah, those were the earlier uh, kind of like challenges. Um, And that goes, that goes from, you know, from the R&D side all the way to marketing, to sales, to branding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. 
how as a founder do you understand what battles you kind of want to you know take on yourself and which ones do you want to to delegate and at what at what time so when mm. did you actually start delegating things mm, okay so um yeah so when i started nimble i was on my own uh, mm. you know I, i was practically doing everything um yeah i even you know i have to clean my own office i have to bring the products to the to the post office to mm-hmm. um, you know to send them to customers yeah. um yeah i did all the in you know, all the like um yeah the dirty job in in legwork as well exactly the legwork yeah that's mm. the word that i was looking for so i had to do all the legwork um and i think i just knew that um a lot of the things that i was doing um were not going to add value in the long run yeah yes. so i mm-hmm. i knew i had i knew that there are tasks that i need to do because it has it just has to be done uh, in order to progress but then i knew that there are tasks that you know that i can delegate to someone else um yeah because it will just not add more value um so yeah it it was uh, yeah a bit hard I, i i think the tension that i had was the fact that i knew what were the things i wanted to outsource but mm-hmm. i didn't have i didn't have money to do it um because because in the first um the first two years of the business it was bootstrapped um i was mainly using our family savings mm-hmm. um yeah thanks to my wife for allowing me to do it um but mm-hmm. yeah i was practically using our family savings to fund the business so you know, yeah exactly so i didn't want to yeah i didn't want to just spend it on you know on on things that i feel like oh, i can still do it i could still do it mm-hmm. but then yeah i think i think after two years i realized look you know i, I think i need to start raising um, investment raising mm-hmm. funding um so that i can hire people who could help me um grow the business um and yeah um it was from that point on that i realized okay um i need uh, you know in a few more people around me uh, to support me and and do some of the legwork um so that i can start thinking more strategically more on the business rather than in the business absolutely hmm. and how did you go about raising funds mm, um there's a very tricky um yeah a very tricky thing to do um because at that time i thought i knew about yeah i i thought i knew i knew how to raise funds because i've seen dragons then right yeah. <laughs> um yeah i thought ah, okay you, you just need to come up with you know a, a three minute pitch um and then answer questions and mm-hmm. that's it yeah um mm-hmm. i thought yeah but then yeah it, it wasn't the case um so i yeah i I I had to basically pitch in a lot of uh, pitching events back you know this was way before covid this was back in 2017 I ended up spending 12 months um before I could um I could uh, raise the funds um so yeah the the first I would say the first 3 to 4 months was very uh, tough because um yeah I just didn't know what I needed to prepare in order to attract investors Right. So uh, I ended up working with a, a mentor um who positioned herself as someone who yeah who can help um startup founders to raise funds and she mm-hmm. was really helpful um basically uh yeah yeah the, you know in summary the the key things that she told me is to prepare three documents 
mm-hmm. and you know and from those three documents you have something that can attract investors yeah so the first document is a one pager um, executive summary um, this is more for your cold approaches <laughs> yeah so you know if you're just you know um, uh, meeting someone for the first time or you know seeing someone for the first time on LinkedIn yeah. um, you mm-hmm. know that's the kind of document you send now um after after you know after the investor sees the one pager and if he's interested um if they're interested with it then um yeah you can then book a call um to do a proper pitch and that's when you need your second document which is a pitch deck mm-hmm. yeah um and the pitch deck is more like you know 10 15 slides um kind of like just telling the story of you know what your business is all about Uh, with you know with a few numbers here and there but it shouldn't be too heavy it's just really more for you to tell the story um to the investors and then um once the investor is kind of like hooked into the whole idea then that's when you um send them an investor pack which is like you know a more comprehensive version of the pitch deck uh which will probably be around 30 slides um and that's where you can kind of like show Uh, more detailed things like financials, um, your uh, fi- your forecasts, and things like that. So it was just having the, that that kind of structure really helped me, um, and that um, helped me um, to pitch better because um, yeah, I know that I have the basics right. Um, so that was how I spent the first three to four months, kind of like just doing trial and error, really. Um, and then the next. The next six months or so, it was just yeah me hustling and 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 going to pitch events almost every other night. Um, uh, yeah, pitching, getting rejected. Um, but then it's good because then for every rejection, I get, you know, I get closer to a better pitch. You yeah, learn. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. You learn. You know what are the things that investors are looking for. Then you kind of like um, edit and develop your pitch towards you know what 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 you know that the investors are looking for so yeah eventually on the 11th month of pitching i finally found this right group of investors who were um like really keen um and yeah they moved so fast um within like two weeks um um they they completed the deal with me um so yeah i was able to close the deal in like yeah two three weeks time from from meeting that investor but it was a long journey prior to you know, prior to getting that fundraising. Um, yeah, but then, but then, yeah, it gets easier um, because, you know, once you've, once you've raised your first uh, round, yeah, you have all the learnings and you now know, you know, what words to, what words to use and, you know, you're just in that zone. Um, so it gets easier to raise funds. And it also makes, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, when you've done your first fundraise, Um, the next round of uh, fundraisers, when you speak to investors, say, you know, it already gives them assurance that okay, these guys know what they're doing because they've sure. already done one fundraise, yeah, um, and they've seen the progress. So yeah, it does get easier, but yeah, the the first the first go is always the hardest. It's always for sure, for sure, and obviously uh, something that I'm very interested in uh, asking you about is the Dragon's Den experience that mm. was in 2020, right? Mm-hmm, that's correct. Um, yeah, so our episode got aired um, in March 2020, two weeks prior to uh, the UK government announcing yeah. the lockdown, the first ever lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that that episode was filmed a year before in April 2019. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, and yeah, it, it was a crazy experience. Um, 
yeah it was i think as a as a person and as a founder it really stretched me um yeah because i feel like i've thrown myself into like you know into the fire pit um, because the dragons were very tough um and even the audition process was quite tough um yeah um that alone the, the audition process i think took took almost two months to complete um, because there were lots of due diligence. Right. Um, you have, yeah, there's a lot of paperwork that you need to fill out. There's a lot of documentation that you have to submit to them in order to support the things that you are going to say. So for example, if you tell them that, um, you know, you're selling your products on Okado, um, it's, not, it's not enough for them to see that your products are on the Okado website. Um, they need to see orders. Yeah, they need to see, uh, yes, exactly. They need to see um, email communications and things like that. Um, so they're very ri rigorous when it comes to their due diligence. Um, yeah, when I said that I was a chemist by profession, they asked me to uh, supply them with my, um, with my certificate of, uh, yeah, of degree. Um, so I had, to, mm. I had to unearth it from my files uh, back <laughs> in the Philippines. Uh, yeah yeah um and even you know when i said i used to work for unilever i had to provide to them pay slips um yeah uh, and and when i said yeah i worked for 10, 10 years at unilever it's pay slips from you know from 2003 mm -hmm. all the way to 2013 so that was how rigorous it was um interesting so yeah so that that phase was hard um but then yeah when you get into the den itself um it was also uh very hard um what what you know what they show on telly is only 15 minutes of mm. a two hour of a of a two hour grilling inside the den right so, so it's two hours exactly mm -hmm. it's two hours long um yeah and yeah and it's two hours of intense questioning and grilling um yeah yeah and but yeah i, I you came got out an offer from the yeah from the yes, golden trio I, <laughs> yes exactly i got an offer from the golden trio uh, from tuker uh, from tedge and from sarah davis um, so yeah, that was really good. Um, yeah, and I was very happy. I think as a person and as a founder, um, after that Dragon's Den experience, it just gave me a lot of confidence um, mm. about myself yeah. um, and also about the business. Absolutely. Um, so, so after that, you can just throw me, at, uh, throw me anywhere to pitch and I can pitch. <laughs> yeah, whereas before, yeah, whereas before I'd just be so nervous and things like that. Uh, but Once then, you've yeah, done that. Exactly. I yeah. felt like, oh, if I could convince these three dragons to invest in the business, um, yeah, I think I have a good shot at, uh, at, at convincing more people. So yeah, yeah, that gave me a lot of, uh, of confidence. Marketing wise, was it a good, I can imagine a good exposure, right? Mm, really good exposure indeed. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So on the, yeah, on the night of the airing, yeah, we had 20,000 visits onto our website. Um, thank God our website didn't crash because we were prepared <laughs> for it because a lot of people warned me about it. So, you know, right. we really prepared yeah. for it. Um, um, and then um, it was also great uh, marketing uh, when it came for, uh, when it came to me closing deals with Sainsbury's. Because mm -hmm. um, at that time, I was already having conversations with Sainsbury's. Uh, we were yeah. about to launch in Sainsbury's. Um, I think they were already convinced with our proposition. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, me being able to show a slide of me uh, on Dragon's Den, um, uh, I think, you know, was, a, was an icing on, the, uh, was a cherry on top of the, of the cake, um, you know, that gave them confidence that oh, this guy knows uh, what, what, what he's doing. Um, 
yeah and that that really helped and then post uh you know post the dragons then show um now we can put you know as seen on dragons then on our marketing materials um yeah it really really helps uh, in driving credibility to the brand absolutely and yeah. how is it in practice to work uh with the three dragons what is their involvement and obviously maybe they have different styles and support that they give you or can you tell mm. us a bit more so um yeah um in, actually uh the deal didn't go through sadly um yeah so what i mm. did was um yeah so post uh post the show um i had uh, three meetings with tuker himself um to basically negotiate a better deal um because um because at that time there were a few things happening in the business that i couldn't disclose um in mm -hmm. in in the show itself so um yeah i was able to secure um some legal documents and stuff like that ndas and whatnot um so that i could disclose um what was happening Mm -hmm. um in the business to tuker um um yeah and i was i was going to use the, those things to renegotiate the deal to make it better for me um and better for the business and to our current shareholders yeah. but then sadly those projects that i was banking on didn't happen so yeah so yeah so tuker didn't want to renegotiate the deal and so he, he wanted to stay at that um yeah and the deal was um something like 45% what what he wanted what the three wanted from the business mm -hmm. and i felt like oh 45% at that stage of the business is going to be detrimental um because it means that it will you know it will not allow me to uh, raise more funds later mm. uh, for growth yeah so you know with a yeah with a very heavy heart uh, we had to yeah we had to walk away from from the negotiations but we're still in good yeah we're still in good communications with Tuker's team um because he, he he was the one leading the conversations on behalf of the three um right. so yeah we we still have good uh, relationships um a good relationship with Tuker's team we do social media collaborations every now and again um so yeah so we're in a good place with them absolutely absolutely And obviously, I was looking at your website before before this call a little bit, and uh, you uh, have a map where we can find the stores uh, mm. close to me. So I looked mm -hmm. at the UK. I saw mm -hmm. many stores. I was really impressed. Mm -hmm. And then I started, you know, clicking the minus on the map. More and mm. more stores around the world started popping in the US, in Canada, Australia. Can you tell us something about your international expansion? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we do. Um. We do have um exports. Um. Mm -hmm. As part of our revenue streams. Um. And this is yeah. It's amazing because basically what happens is that um there are a number of distributors from different countries who just mm -hmm. um contact us uh, via email or via LinkedIn or via Facebook, Instagram uh, because they've been following us. So they like what we're doing, and they feel like, um, yeah, it's 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 um, a kind of brand and a kind of range of products that they would uh, that their consumers and their local markets would love. Um, yeah, so that's how it all happened. Um, so yeah, we we do um, send out you know pallets of products to a number of distributors mm. around the world. Um, mm -hmm. How many are you in uh, in the company? You mentioned a little bit the the ranges of products and how have your sales evolved as well. Where are mm -hmm. you at? Okay, sure. So we are uh, currently, um, we are four in the team internally. Mm -hmm. um, but then the model that I've built the business is um, based on a, uh, like an expertise outsource kind of model. So yeah, internally we have four. Um, so myself being the CEO, 
um, and then we uh, we we have um, someone who is um, an e-com manager, a marketing mm-hmm. manager, and an operations manager. Um, and then externally, we work with a number of agencies and consultants who are experts in their field. So, right. for example, we have a sales team that we work with <coughs> who are experts in um, um, managing retail accounts like Tesco and Sainsbury's mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the supermarkets and pharmacies. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, uh, we work with an operations team who support our operations manager um, who basically... Um, you know, help us with, you know, the day-to-day operations and supply chain uh, requirements, ordering, uh, order processing, order uh, creation, uh, yeah, uh, production planning and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we work with uh, third-party manufacturers. We work with an external, um, an external finance team who does our bookkeeping and does a bit of management accounting for us. Um, yeah, we also work with a with a marketing mentor um, who works with our marketing manager um, to basically develop and polish our marketing plans. Um, and then, yeah, we work with a team of e-com experts, social media experts, um, PR uh, experts um, to basically um, help us grow the business. Right. Yeah. So at any given time, there's about 15 of us working uh, in, in Nimble. Fantastic, thank you. Mm-hmm. And in terms of your role, uh, what aspects are you uh, personally in charge of? Um, mm-hmm. I'm particularly interested in this because uh, of your background and because of the mm-hmm. importance of MPD in FMCG. And so I wanted to um, know how that looks like in your business. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, as a CEO, what I'm uh, personally in charge of is... Um, it's it's the the R and D yeah because um, I'm mm-hmm. an R and D guy um so basically I'm head of R and D yeah um, and that goes into the NPD side of things so we yes. see in fact in fact NPD is one of our big bets uh, for 2021 um, mm-hmm. because in 2020 we launched uh, three new products and it just really uh, grew the business and I thought you know learning from my days at Unilever NPD really is kind of like the life the lifeblood of, of, mm-hmm. a, of an yeah. FMCG company. So I thought, yeah, we really need to spend time uh, in, in developing new products, which I didn't get to do in the earlier years because I was doing everything by myself. Um, mm-hmm. But now that we have a team um, supporting me, then you know I could focus more on, on uh, product development. And yeah, we do have some more exciting products coming out. Um, there's one product coming out in two, three weeks time. So, yeah. so we are, we're, we're quite busy preparing for that. Uh, Can at anticipate the moment. something? <laughs> um, yeah. It's something to do with, um, yeah. With being uh, clean and hygienic on the go. Yeah. On the go. Right. <laughs> yes, right, right. exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So that's something to watch out for. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, other things that I'm uh, I'm directly involved. It's around the finances of the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I used to be yeah I used to not get too involved with it because yeah because I I'm just inundated with all the marketing and e-com and uh, operation matters. But I think this year I realized that I have to just step back from you know from all the operational things like yeah marketing e-com and and supply chain and focus on the finances of the business um, because now we're, you know, getting into a stage where we're growing quite fast. Um, <clears throat> we are, yeah, we are 
uh, we are ahead of our sales target um, as of May. Um, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things going on, um, and I, yeah, I needed to be more on top of the finances. So I now work um, more directly with the, with the finance of the business. Um, yeah, and then thirdly, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, as a CEO, I'm also evolving as a leader. Um, yeah, because I think in the past, I'm, I'm much more, yeah, as I said, I'm very much directly involved in things. Um, and very recently in April, um, yeah, we, we, yeah, we just had uh, twin boys um, in the family. So I had to yes. take paternity leave. So I left the team for three weeks to mm. be on their own. Um, and that was an eye-opener for me. <laughs> it was it was a real eye-opener for me because for those three weeks, I just didn't have any capacity to get involved or read emails or whatever. Mm-hmm. But my team just really, you know, just stepped up um, and, you know, they were running everything, um, you know, without my inputs. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, when I came back from paternity leave, I thought, in fact, I could actually um, step back uh, from a lot of these operational yeah. matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I used to I used to have weekly meetings, weekly functional meetings with uh, with the three other guys who work in the you know internally. Um, but then, yeah, after coming back, yeah, we've adjusted that. We're now we're now just doing biweekly catch ups. Yeah, and then in those biweekly catch ups, it's a bit more top line, top level conversations rather than, you know, me checking on them or oh, what's going on in this project. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, yeah, what, yeah, what's going on? You know, are we on track uh, when it came to, to the time commitments? Yeah, it used to be like that. It's mm-hmm. more like high level. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any things that are blocking you from doing what you need to do? Tell me, then I'll help you unblock things rather than me, you know, getting into the all the details. So yeah, it's very, it's very refreshing. Um, so yeah, um, you know, as a CEO, yeah, that's what I'm kind of like trying to do now. So be more, more of a team leader, like a, someone who rallies people, uh, but not getting involved in the daily grind. In the nitty gritty. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned your, um, your baby twins, and mm. I know you have also mm. another another toddler, yeah, another right? daughter. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, a toddler. Mm-hmm. So you obviously your company speaks to parents. Your company is for the parents and the kids. Mm-hmm. You're a parent mm-hmm. yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have some advice um, to other parents that are also entrepreneurs on how to juggle it all? Something something that's worked for you that you would uh, like to share? Oh, wow. Um, So honestly, this is still a a fresh thing that I'm still trying to navigate. Um, Yeah, because the the twin boys are only eight weeks old now. Um, And I've just, yeah, yeah. (laughs) thank you. Um, Yeah, and we're still navigating it. Um, But I think the principle that I'm, yeah, so at the moment, for example, um, yeah, I could only work about six hours during the day. Um, And then I find time in the evenings to kind of like, catch up on you know like for you know add two more hours of work just to be doing you know the minimum seven and a half eight hour uh, a day kind of work um so i think uh but yeah but i'm not always able to do it because it depends on you know the the boys if they're if they're settling well uh to to sleep and stuff like that um but yeah the the general principle that's guiding me at the moment is that yeah my family comes first um yeah um it's very hard because the business is very demanding at this stage it's growing it's growing like crazy 
um yeah it's yeah it's growing at the same time as my family is growing i i just know that yeah my family comes first so you it's know I, I yeah mm-hmm. yeah and that's kind of like the the starting point then work yeah the work side of things i yeah i work around it um i work around the family schedule and you'll be surprised that you know a lot of the people that you work with suppliers investors um and 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 what not um they're all very understanding and they actually respect um you know the time that you allocate for the family so yeah i think yeah my advice to entrepreneurs who are also uh, parents um yeah i think yeah don't be scared to you know put the foot down when it comes to prioritizing your family because they they do come first that's that's great advice thank you for sharing that and it's great to hear as well about the uh, humanity that exists um, in the industry so <laughs> it's great oh thank you do you have a motto or a principle that you live and run your company by oh um so i would say um it's it's along the lines of respect yeah um you'll be surprised with the amount of emails that you get from customers for example um that you can easily dismiss as oh you know this customer is just being difficult or being you know or being you know you know, yeah yeah just being difficult but um yeah but you know that i've been a parent for the last two years uh, mm-hmm. um yeah it really changed and it really made me understand that you know parents are just under a lot of stress um yeah. and pressures um it's very hard because you know you're sleepless um there's a lot of um you know stress from uh, external pressures like social mm-hmm. media family and friends um and then you also have um you know the stress of keeping the house tidy <clears throat> yeah so so yeah when you when you get um emails from you know from customers from suppliers and whatnot yeah i think yeah we just come from a point yeah we always you know I, this is what i always tell the team that you know we yeah let's come from a point of okay try to understand mm. what is the situation of that other person yeah. um and why are they saying these things yeah um yeah and and i think it boils down to um yeah to yeah to the respect that you Yeah, bestow on the other people um, and so, when you come from that point then I think it, you know the hard things become a little easier because you know that you're working together to to find the solutions absolutely that's a yeah. very good point you never mm. know uh, exactly what the other person is going through and what mm-hmm. I find is that sometimes it's just enough to you know ask without assuming anything <clears throat> exactly and, and find a way to Um, talk you through and work together. I I find that being very, very powerful. You mentioned that you wanted to start a company for a while. Um, did you? What did you expect from starting it? And did it turn out the way you expected it? <laughs> Not at all. Um, yeah. So I think I I was expecting to be finished with Nimble in like you know uh, yeah like a year ago. Right. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. Um, you thought you yeah, I, I thought it, it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or yeah, I, I thought that yeah, I would have moved on, uh, you know, after five mm. years. Um, but then, yeah, it, it takes, yeah, it, I think it takes twice as long as you think. Uh, yeah, because, yeah, you're learning, you're making mistakes, you're having to try again and things like that. Um, yeah, because I think what people see is, you know, what people see on social media is that, you know, these are the things that you've achieved. Mm-hmm. But people don't really see behind the scenes what are the things that have that haven't gone the way you planned yeah, it. Yeah, sure. 
yeah um so for every yeah so for every success that you have um yeah there's probably like 10 failures that come with it um yeah so yeah it it's definitely not the way i expected it um and yeah and but yeah but but what's been helping me all along is so i'm i'm a christian uh, um yeah um and yeah and that really help that really helps me as a as a founder and a ceo knowing that the business is not yeah i'm not the ultimate boss of the business um yeah um, i know that there's a higher being who is uh yeah the boss and and responsible for nimble all all together um so that helps me relax as well that you know even if things don't according don't go according to plan i know that yeah it will um it it will happen if it's meant to happen it will not happen if it's not meant to happen yeah um and and that really uh, gives me the assurance yeah. um and to to keep going what would you say is the most uh, important thing that you learned about yourself running this business um, yeah that i'm not yeah i'm not able to do everything by myself mm. yeah i i need i need other people um i i need to yeah i need other people to make things um happen um i can yeah i think i've learned that i'm i have quite a lot of energy and resilience mm-hmm. um which is great um but yeah it's something that i didn't know before i i kind of like started the business right. Um, I thought I was just stubborn, but I think, yeah, I think I, I just have more energy and resilience for things. Um, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I've learned that, yeah, I, I cannot do everything by myself and I need uh, experts to help me um, um, get to the next stage. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I have one last question. We haven't talked about it mm-hmm. directly. Um, I wanted to ask you, what was the impact of COVID on your business and how you run your business? Sure. Um, so, yeah, um, we are very fortunate that, you know, we are, you know, Nimble is in an industry or a sector which uh, wasn't negatively uh, affected by mm-hmm. COVID. You know, we were not like the hospitality industry where we had to sure. shut down. Um, so we're, you know, we're quite, um, yeah, we're quite fortunate that, yeah, cleaning products grew uh, like a hundred percent during COVID, um, which was great. And I think what happened as well was that, yeah, uh, as I mentioned, um, we launched Insane. Uh, yeah, we we uh, our Dragons Den uh, um, episode appeared two weeks before yeah. lockdown. We launched Insane's Breeze, um, yeah, a month before lockdown, which was great. Um, so, yeah, which was great exactly. So. Yeah, so in many ways, you know, we 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 were prepared without knowing that we were preparing mm-hmm. for it. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we yeah we we were able to grow the business last year, um, versus um twenty nineteen. It could have grown much faster if we did if we if we were able to only prepare from a supply chain point of view. Mm. Um, so the huge the huge challenge that we had was actually we ran out of products to sell. Right. Um. So. So a lot of people, a lot of customers, both B2B and B2C wanted our products, but we just had to allocate stocks. Um, so yeah, we were priori- yeah, we were prioritizing our stocks um, to Sainsbury's. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we couldn't fulfill um, orders from other retailers and also um, and also with our B2C um, with our website and also Amazon. So yeah, that that really hurt us. Uh, um, the fact that we couldn't grow fast mm. enough um, with the demands, 
Um, but yeah, that also helped us though, because um, that forced us to rethink our supply chain. Right. Um, at the time, yeah, at the time we were working with a small, um, a small third-party manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and now we're working with a kind of like a medium-scale mm-hmm. uh, manufacturer with two factories. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, so we could you know really scale the business um, because there's more capacity in the factory uh, to make more. Um, and then we also have developed more supplier relationships. Um, because yeah, because we make all our products uh, uh, here in the UK, so we buy the individual components and then we get the factory to assemble right. them. Um, yeah, so previously, for example, for a for a packaging material, let's say a box, we only have one supplier of mm-hmm. a box. Uh, now we've developed two, three suppliers for each type right. of material, so that you know when 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 supplier A runs out, we can go to supplier B or supplier mm-hmm. C to to get more. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's changed. Um, you know, that's changed. Um, yeah, that's our mm-hmm. outlook and and yeah, our outlook in you know in time in terms of the operations. Um, and then I, I think as a team as well, we've changed um, as a result of COVID. Um, we're now all just wor- working remotely at mm-hmm. the moment. Um, but that works brilliantly for the team um, because all of us are married uh, either with children or, you know, or married. Um, so, you know, family comes mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. Uh, for all of us. So, yeah. It, yeah, I think, you know, the the work from home setup has, has worked very well. Um, and then we're much more efficient with the way we use the time. Um, you know, whenever we do Zoom calls, we have agendas, um, you know, we have agenda points. Um, you know, there, yeah, there's a lot more structure um, to the way we do things now. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing to hear. And have you seen any changes from the consumer perspective as well? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. So in fact, yeah, we did a shopper survey last year um, with about a thousand people um, in that survey. Um, yeah, 1,300 in that survey. Um, yeah. And it came out that uh, 60% of consumers now um, yeah, clean um, more mm-hmm, thoroughly, mm-hmm. more frequently, <laughs> more thoroughly and more frequently. Yeah. Um, and actually one fourth of the respondents said that they wouldn't go back to their pre-COVID cleaning routines. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the yeah, so the be- the attitude and behavior towards cleaning have For really, sure. yeah, they've really changed. Yeah. yeah. Um, it changed to yeah, to be more, yeah, be more aware about cleanliness and hygiene around Absolutely. the house and also on the go. Absolutely. Mm. They have had cleaning products have had a uh, an importance probably and a presence in our lives that they didn't have before so mm. yeah mm-hmm. do yeah. you think they they became closer to this kind of products in a almost emotional way because your product is mm, a bit absolutely. emotional as well in uh, in my mm, absolutely in my view at least yeah yeah definitely and um and yeah funnily the emotion associated to cleaning and cleaning products is a negative mm. one um this yeah because you know it's a chore it's something that you actually you know if you can outsource it to someone you would um but then now because of covid um i think the attitude towards cleaning has become a bit more positive um you know i wouldn't say like like you know positive positive but probably more like a neutral a neutral thing now rather than a negative experience yeah and then and then i think with with brands like ours um 
yeah, we're we're making cleaning a bit more interesting with the way we speak, with the way we brand um, our products. Um, there, you know, uh, you have like cheeky, funny faces of the of the children on the front of the mm-hmm. packs. Yeah. Um, the way we speak on social media, the yeah. way we speak on our marketing materials, we we just make, yeah, we just kind of like demystify the whole world of cleaning and make it a bit more fun and engaging Absolutely. for the parents. Absolutely, and I really mm-hmm. really like this about uh, about your brand. So thank you so much, Van. This was really, really interesting. And if our listeners want to get in touch and interact with you and the brand, where can they find you? So the best thing um, to do is to go on www.nimblebabies.com. That's our website. We're actually relaunching the website um, next week. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it will have uh, some sub- cool uh, features like subscription, you know, subscribe and save um, and things like that. So you know, watch out for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you want to, yeah, if you want to get hold of the products now, yeah, you can just go online. Um, you could also, um, yeah, go on Instagram and Facebook. Our handle is at Nimble Babies. Um, and yeah, you will learn more about what we do on a day-to-day basis. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much. This was so much fun. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Georgia, for this uh, excellent opportunity to yeah, speak about Nimble. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I'll see you in the next episode.